message series in Acts, and I, I want to ask you, uh, have you ever heard of Masterclass? It's an online subscription where you can learn from the very best about subjects that they are experts in. For instance, if, if you want to learn how to play tennis, the greatest probably uh, tennis, women's tennis player of all time, Serena Williams, she has a class on how to play tennis. You don't want to learn that from me. You want to learn that from her. Or if you want to cook recipes at home, you don't have to go to Google. You can just go to Gordon Ramsay. He's going to teach you. Hopefully he doesn't yell at you, but he's going to teach you how to make incredible restaurant recipes in your own home. Or if you want to learn how to play basketball, you want to learn from a MVP, someone who has four rings. You're going to go to Steph Curry. He's going to teach you how to dribble and shoot. That's what Masterclass is for. But here's the greatest thing. As you're reading the scriptures and you're in Acts, especially Acts 23, 24, we read that Paul himself is going to teach us a Masterclass. You don't have to subscribe to it online to realize that he has a master class and he wants to teach it in a subject that all of us need to know of. And the subject that he will teach in today's message is basically a two-part message. Acts 23 and 24, they'll go together, and then Acts 25 next week. And the class that Paul will teach us is this, how to endure hardship. As I look in this congregation, I see people who have gone through, or are going through, or will be going through hardship. We live in a broken world. I don't have to convince you of that. So the question isn't if you will endure hardship, but when and how bad is it going to be? And for some of you in this room, it's unspeakable how bad it is. How do you and I learn how to endure hardship? Well, today in Acts 23, 24, we're going to learn how to do that. So turn in your Bibles to Acts 23 and 24. And like I told you, it's basically a two-part message. And today, session one of this master class that Paul's going to teach us is how do we remain faithful to Jesus? When life is falling apart, how can we remain faithful to Jesus? And so what I want to do this morning is, we can't read all of Acts 23 and 24, but what I want to do is take you above Acts 23 and 24 and give you a 50,000 foot view, an outline of what's happening in Acts 23 and 24. And then we're going to just drill down deeper in how to be faithful to Jesus during hardship. Let me just give you an overview of what's happening in Acts 23 and 24. So the first five verses we read about Paul, and he's forced to stand before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish courts, to defend himself. And then a few verses later, we're reading that once Paul explains that he's on trial for believing in the resurrection, this split Jewish court is made up of two kinds of people. You have the Sadducees, who don't believe in a future res resurrection, and then you have the Pharisees who do believe in a future resurrection, though they don't believe in Jesus' resurrection because they were Jewish. And they begin to riot at what Paul is explaining. We read then that Paul's nephew warns Paul that 40 zealous Jews are plotting to kill him. So Paul is sent to Felix, the governor of Caesarea, for protection. So that's kind of an overview of Acts 23. We'll dig a little deeper in a little bit. And then we get to Acts 24. And we read of Tertullus, 
who is like a Jewish lawyer, he comes and presents a case to Governor Felix about Paul. And Paul, well, from verses 10 through 21, he gives a defense to Felix on why he believes why he, what he believes and talks a lot about Jesus and who he is. And then we recognize this, right at the end of Acts 24, after he says this, though it seems like Felix knows that Paul is innocent, Felix sentences Paul to prison for two years. Now, we said this message is all about Paul teaching us how to be faithful to Jesus in the midst of hardship. And if you recognize in Acts 23 and 24, Paul is facing all kinds of hardship. I mean, there was a plot to assassinate him. Forty people coming together saying, we have to go kill Paul. So there's that. And then he's falsely imprisoned. He's accused of something he doesn't do, and he's put in prison for two years, though he's innocent. Talk about hardship. And when you read Acts 23 and 24, you can't help but see that Paul remains faithful to Jesus. And this is how I want to find faithfulness. Faithfulness literally means you're putting into practice what you've always known to be true. So when life is falling apart, it doesn't mean you don't grieve. It doesn't mean you don't yell at God. We see that in the Psalms. It doesn't mean that you can't fall apart. We see that all throughout Scripture. Scripture is a great manuscript on how to grieve properly and to hurt and to yell at God, and to know how to go through suffering. But what Paul does is he doesn't abandon his faith. In fact, in somehow it strengthens his faith. Somehow he sticks true to what he's always known to be true, even if he's about to be killed or imprisoned falsely for a couple years. And so whatever hardship you are facing right now, I want to show you how you can still cling to Jesus and still be faithful to him even in the honest rawness of whatever you're facing. The first way we want to look at that, of the three ways to remain faithful to Jesus, is this. Maintain a clear conscience. Maintain a clear conscience. We see this happening twice in Acts 23 and 24. For instance, Acts 23.1. Gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, Brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. Conscience. So he's standing before this Jewish court, and he says, look, no matter what you say about me, at the end of the day, I can say with certainty that my conscience between God and, God and me, it's clear. It's clean. And then we get to Acts 24, where he's standing before Felix, and as he's talking to the governor, he, he says this, but I admit that I follow the way, which they call a cult. I worship the God of our ancestors, and I firmly believe the Jewish law and everything written in the prophets. I have the same hope in God that these men have, that he will raise both the righteous and the unrighteous. And because I believe this, I always try to maintain a clear conscience before God and all people. So what Paul is saying is, look, at the end of the day, before God and before people, my conscience is clear. But what does that mean? You and I can say, oh, my conscience is clear, but how do we know to be true? And how do we pursue a clear conscience in the midst of hardship? Because remember, Paul can say this not because life is even, but despite life being hard, he can still say that his conscience is clear. How do we do that? 
Well, we need to understand what the word literally means. So the word conscious in Greek is this word sunedesis. Sunedesis. And it's the same word in Acts 23 and 24. And when you look at the Strong's Greek lexicon to, to get a definition of this Greek word, it's this. The soul as distinguishing between what is morally good and bad, prompting to do the former and shun the latter, commending one and commending the other. So, the word conscious, the word soul, are used interchangeably. And when Paul says his soul or his conscious is clear, he literally means the deepest part of himself, the central part of his being, who he is at his core. He's able to choose good when he's choosing between good and bad. He's able to choose being faithful to God when he has a choice of not being faithful or being faithful to God. And this is because out of all of the things that Paul is, because he is this way, everything he says, everything he thinks, everything he does is coming out of this conscious that is clear. And that's why it is so important to understand this. Who I am determines how I live. Repeat that with me, will you? Who I am determines how I live. You can't fake your conscience. You can't manipulate your soul. You can trick it for a little while, but after a while, when you get bumped into, when life bumps into you, or a relationship bumps into you, or something hard at work bumps into you, whatever comes out, and your actions and in your words has always been there. It's the difference between having a clear conscience and not having a clear conscience. Having a clean soul or not having a clean soul. You can make those decisions to go down the good path or the moral path for a little while, but after a while, you go back to your default setting, and who you are determines how you live. It's just how it goes. That's why Paul says this, I have always lived with or maintained a clear conscience. Now that word clear doesn't mean perfect. Now you may say, well, Paul's a saint. How do I compete with that? You read in scripture elsewhere, do you know what Paul says about himself? He says, there's a lot of sinners in this world. Paul says, I'm the worst. And you're thinking, well, wait a minute. How can you be the worst sinner and still have a clear conscience? Because clear doesn't mean perfect. Here's what it means. It means faithful. It means clean, upright, a heart, soul, conscience directed towards God. Not every moment of every day will we have that, but consistently he does. Why? Because he says he's always lived with and maintained it. It means that he did the work every moment of every day because he knows in this world you're going to be pulled in different directions. Every day, your soul, your conscience, it can go this way or that way. And if you're not pursuing it in the way that honors God, you will go this way. It's just how the world works. And Paul said he's doing the work, the grinding, gritty work where no one sees it to stay close to Jesus. So when people bump into him, what comes out 
is a reflection of what's in there, which is a clean and clear and upright conscience. His soul is directed towards God. So when hardship comes, he can make the right decisions, even though they're really hard to make. Because who you are determines how you live. You can get away with some things for a little while, but you will always go back to your default setting. And if you look at your life and you're like, I don't like what's coming out of my mouth, or I don't like the decisions I'm making, I don't like what's in my mind, I don't like those things, it's because you and I have not maintained and lived with and pursued a clear conscience. You see, Paul did. That's why in the midst of peer pressure, where he could have easily said, okay, I may be killed by these people. If I don't say the right thing, he still clings on to Jesus even when 40 people are planning his death. Or when we read this in Acts 24, 24 through 26, look at this clear conscience coming out of Paul. A few days later, Felix came back with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. Sending for Paul, they listened as he told them about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control and the coming day of judgment, Felix, he became frightened. Go away for now, he replied. And when it becomes more convenient, I'll call for you again. He also hoped that Paul would bribe him, so he sent him quite often and talked with him. So here's Felix. He knows Paul is innocent. But when Paul is speaking to him, he could have said anything he wanted to get out of trouble. But he talked about Jesus. He talked about the right things, even though he could be imprisoned. And Felix was scared because he saw someone with a clear conscience right before him. He saw the truth. And he was so scared, he had to send Paul to prison. And while he was there, he thought, I know how I can get Paul. I'll get a bribe. If I can bribe him, I'll get him out of jail. I'll get money and everything goes away. But never once did Paul cave. Why? Because his soul was clean. His conscience was clear. Who he was determined how he lived. And when he could have been faithless in that moment, he was faithful. See, Paul was imprisoned physically, but spiritually and emotionally he was free. Are you? How is your conscience? How is your soul? Who are you? How are you living your life? How are you treating people? When life is hard, do you still maintain faithfulness to Jesus? Or do you just cave to your emotions or your feelings or what other people think or say about you? If your conscience is clear, no matter how hard it is, you will go this way. If not, you're just going to go that way. So to help determine that, let me just ask a couple reflection questions here. Ask yourself this. How's my conscience or soul? Excuse me. While it's never perfect, can I say I am doing whatever it takes to keep it clean, upright, and surrender to Jesus? Ask yourself that tough question. Is God's word guiding me? Or am I doing what everyone else in our culture is doing? Christ follower, does your life look like everyone else's? If so, your conscience can't be clean. 
Because if it were, you will look different. You may be persecuted for it. You may be made fun of for it. You may be falsely imprisoned for it. Paul was free. Are you? And am I rejecting sin outright? Or am I justifying my sinful actions because it feels good to me? At the end of the day, like Paul, may we be like Martin Luther, the great reformer, who said, for my conscience is held captive by the word of God, and to act against conscience is neither right nor safe. If you want to be safe in the middle of God's will, you will lead not by what's easy or will make you happy, because we all know happiness is fleeting and circumstantial. But if we want to do what's right, even when it's hard, we will do what God's word says and we trust him with results. The second thing Paul says to do and to be faithful to Jesus is do not speak poorly about your leaders. This is a tough one. Look what, Paul, look what happens to Paul in Acts 23 here. Whoops, let me go back. Oh, I don't, have the ver- I don't have the verses up here. Sorry about that. I'll tell you what happens. So Paul, he is accused of something by the high priest in Acts 23. And the high priest does something, and Paul says something really nasty about the high priest. And those around him say to Paul, Paul, how could you say this to the high priest? And then it says that he didn't recognize it was the high priest. And after that, he says, I am sorry. I should not have acted this way. For the scriptures say not to speak evil about your leaders. Now, what's interesting is when you read that text, you hear Paul saying, I didn't recognize him. How how couldn't he recognize him? Well, there's a couple reasons why. Some people say Paul had really bad eyesight and couldn't see that it was him. Other people think, well, he hasn't been back in Jerusalem in 20 years. He didn't recognize that was the high priest. Or the third reason, and I think this is it, is that he saw how the high priest was acting. And he's thinking to himself, how could someone who's supposed to serve God in such a high role act that way? But honestly, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, Paul recognizes that he did something wrong. And what does he say? I'm sorry. When's the last time you and I said, I'm sorry, and we meant it? In fact, those words are so hard. Would you repeat after me? Just say, I am sorry. Go ahead, say it. I feel good. Sometimes we say, I'm sorry, because we want to get back into someone's good gracious. Sometimes we say, sorry, because we feel like we're forced to. Other times we don't say, sorry, because we don't drop our pride and be okay with being wrong. Paul, because he has a clear conscience, when you have a clear conscience, you're guided by God's spirit and his word, and he recognizes, wait a minute, Exodus 22, Exodus 22, Moses says, don't speak evil of your leaders, and so he says, I'm sorry. He owns it. He doesn't justify it. He doesn't say, this guy's a jerk. He deserves it. He owns it. He says, I'm sorry. Some of your spouses or your kids or your co-workers have never heard you say that. And if you say it, you're like me sometimes. I'm sorry, but. Everything that comes after but is what you really feel. You set it up for I'm sorry. You're like, really, but? And then you just go on and on why they're wrong. Christ follower, can we just start owning things? 
don't have to justify. Just say, I'm sorry. It breaks the pride in you, and it brings the relationship back together. But Paul, Exodus 22, do not speak evil of your leaders. This can mean church leaders. I know none of you have ever said anything bad about me. Some of you are like, oh, shoot, he knows. <laughs> I do. God told me. I'm going to talk to you after the service. Get ready. Church leaders, business leaders, government leaders. Ooh, should I not said the government part? Seriously. Scripture says not to speak evil of your leaders. It doesn't say if you disagree with them, you're allowed to say that. You and I don't have to like some of our bosses, some of our leaders. I don't agree with everything either. Paul didn't either. This dude was supposed to be representing God, and he was a jerk. That's why it kind of came out, ugh, this dude. You don't have to agree with your leaders. A lot of our leaders are wrong in how they treat people and go against God's word. But we can't control them. We can control us. We can shine a light for Jesus and say, even though I feel this way about that boss or that person in government or that leader, it's between God and me. And I know that God is sovereign. That person's there for some reason. I don't understand, but God, you do. My job is to not even have to support him or her, but I shouldn't speak evil of them because that person's made in God's image whether I like it or not. I love John Wesley and what he says about when it comes to informing Christians how to vote. He says, I met those of our society who had votes in the ensuing election, and I advised them to do three things. To vote for the person they judged most worthy. What's your conscience say? What do they, does it line up with God's word? To speak no evil of the person they voted against, and to make sure their spirits were not sharpened against those who voted on the other First one is very easy. The last two are not. Christ follower. If our conscience is going to be clear, we know, even though we don't like that person or not, Moses and Paul and Peter says it too. You don't have to agree with your leaders. But don't speak evil of them. Because when you do, you're speaking evil of the God who created them. Number three. Allow Jesus to encourage and comfort you. I love this part, and we'll end with this. This is so beautiful. And for those of you who are like me, and you're just struggling, and you're hurting, and you're grieving, and you're doing what you think that Jesus is asking you to do, and you just feel like, come on. I need to hear from you. I need to know you're there. I need to know you're close. I want these words to be your words. Paul, he's in jail. In Acts 23, 11, Jesus shows up. He says, just as you've been my witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. That night, the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Paul, be encouraged. We read those words and we think to ourselves, 
Good. Jesus showed up and encouraged Paul. But the theologian R.C. Sproul brings it to life, and I hope it's brought to life for you where you're at in whatever prison or hardship you find yourself in. For when Paul says, or when it says the night the Lord appeared to Paul, it wasn't that he just was far away. The Greek literally means he showed up in a way that Paul was almost terrified because he was so close. When you're you're maintaining a clear conscience, you're able to see Jesus in, in different ways. It doesn't always feel like he's close, but it's almost Jesus saying, even when you don't feel it, I'm there, I'm with you. That's the only thing getting me through this Todd thing. I need to know that he's there. That's all I need to know. And then he says, be encouraged, Paul. That literally says, Paul, I believe in you. I know people want to kill you. I know you're going to be false in prison. And I know you're going to die in the end. But you are doing the right thing. Keep going. I see it. I know it. And I believe in you. That's Jesus' message to you. He shows up when we're reading the word. He shows up when we're praying. He shows up when two or more are gathered in his name. And he looks at you and he says, be encouraged. I see you. I know what you're going through. And I love you. And I'm with you. Please hold on to those words. The coming moments, hours, days, weeks. He is with you. And he loves you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, all of us in this room are going through a hard time. It may be a one, it may be a ten, but all of us are in the midst of suffering. Overwhelming grief that just comes upon us like like a hurricane. At times we don't even know it's coming or suffering because we're a Christian or things that are happening in our family and we're just like, I'm trying my best, God, Continue to show us your way. Help us to be faithful to you as faithful as faithfully as you are to us. And show up in our prison and become so close to us that we can sense you. And help us to hear the words, oh, be encouraged. The risen Savior said, Paul, just like he says your name, be encouraged. He is with you. He loves you. He will not forsake you. Thank you for that promise. Your name. Have a great day.